the Now That We're a Family podcast. And we're back with the Votebrook Family podcast. And this is a greatly anticipated episode. Katie and I have been wanting, literally since the day we started the podcast three years ago, we've been wanting to interview my parents. And not only have Katie and I been wanting to interview them, they have been probably the most requested interview that we've received from our listeners. And so we're excited to have my mommy and daddy in the studio with us today, Joe and Lisa Votberg. Uh, we've got some fun questions that we're going to be asking them, picking their brains around family, around parenting. Um, I, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then I can't just forgive me if I jump in over and over and over again because I want to point out how many things are awesome about my parents because I've loved them my whole life, but I've only become more and more of a fan of them as years have gone on. So, Daddy, Mommy, would you two introduce yourselves? Tell us how long you've been married, where you're living, how many children, what you do for work, and so on. I'll start. Excuse me. I'm Lisa, and we Joe and I have been married for 39 years, and we knew each other, though, uh, we've always been friends. We married as best friends. And we have 10 children. We have 23 grandchildren with the 24th on the way, and even 12 children, 12 girls, 12 boys. Wow. wow that, that is awesome. Daddy, what's happening in your world for work right now? What have, What's a handful of things you've done to provide? Well, I was um, born and raised in the timber industry, um, logging. But was my trade of, of I'm not of choice, but my father woke me up at, when I was 13 years old, got me out of bed, and um, I've been a logger for most of my life until recently. Ten years ago, I, I transitioned into other businesses, coffee yes. and um, real estate. That's right, yeah. And, I think that out of the, the careers that I've you know, been a part of over the last 15 and 20 years, I think 18 of those years, you've been my boss at some point, whether that was in the coffee industry and in real estate, yep. you've been there and keeping me employed. So mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. Uh, okay. So there's numerous things I'm sure people want to hear when it comes to your guys's life at home and working and all those things. But there's some things in particular that Katie and I want to speak on. And Katie, Katie, you will kind of explain what that is. Yeah, well, I think it's funny because I think you're really excited to have your parents on because instead of calling it the Now That We're a Family podcast today, you called it the Voberg Family podcast. That's what <laughs> so, I said. yeah, I mean, we are all Vobergs here, but That's he funny. is feeling the family culture vibes. <laughs> so, anyways, we want to talk specifically about how you guys really navigated that transition from children and raising your kiddos to then teenagers with both the boy and girl dynamics, and then moving into adulthood, and now with married kids and grandkids, just that whole transition, because we've seen a lot of families do it well in the little years, so it looks like, and it seems like they have their kids' hearts, everyone's happy, and then it gets to the teenage years, and it just fall, kind of falls apart, and I think that something you guys have done really well is navigating all the different seasons of family. Mm -hmm. So what is something that you would say has been helpful leading into those teenage years, starting there, maybe starting there with those teenage years? Well, actually, I think I would need to back up uh, because before you have teenagers, you do have babies and toddlers and you are child training. And we, Joe and I 
believe so strongly, as many of you do, and I know you do, that children truly are a blessing. And so when we um, believe that, that's our foundation, believe that children are a gift from God, we embrace those challenges of child training and family life. We embrace it and enjoy it and choose to love it. Uh, because we know God gave it to us. So when we have that attitude, I think that sets um, the foundation for um, building a strong relationship, not resenting our children, but welcoming those opportunities to teach and train and so that they know that they're loved and accepted from the very beginning because we think they are. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, what... Because I think that's really profound. And like you said, I think a lot of people believe that, you know, mm -hmm. at least a lot of our listeners do. I know Katie and I believe that. Um, but you, you mentioned a couple things yesterday that I think were great examples of what that, that, what that can look like practically in practical scenarios. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's great to agree on a conceptual level and say, yeah, that's great. But, yes. then, but then life gets practical. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you know, a seven-year-old that's talking back to you, or you've mm -hmm. got, in our case, you know, a four-year-old that, that won't follow instructions all the time. And you talked about where identifying areas in your heart mm -hmm. in different scenarios. I don't know if you could kind of expound upon that. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm kind of monopolizing. You need you. to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the things we talked about, and that's always been a um, – or for as long as I can remember, is to check our own hearts. You know, so many times we hear that phrase that we want to have the hearts of our children. Mm. I think the first thing we need to do is check our own hearts. Wow. And so those things that come up that I've had to check in my heart are anger, um, embarrassment, and they're rooted in pride. Like, I'm disappointed in the way my child is behaving. So I'm either angry and irritated or I'm embarrassed because of how they appeared in public. So once I identify those things in my heart, I can, I want to repent of that very quickly because it's wrong. And I know that children sense it. And so when we child train from love, they're on our team. It's not about what, what others think of them. And I gave the example of my children when they were young, jumping up and down on a really nice, uh, sofa at, at when we were guests at somebody's house and that was just one of the things that they were probably doing that was unruly but I remember going to bed being so mad at my kids and then God convicting me and thinking wait I'm I'm their biggest fan I'm their mom God gave them to me mm. and so it put it in perspective that yes I wanted to teach my children good manners but it was about them. It was not about what those other people thought about my kids. Mm. And it, in a sense, it's a graphic way or maybe a, a way to grasp turning your heart toward your child and rather than my, my own well-being or how I appear. I love how you said being on the same team as your kids because yeah. I think often, Elisha and I, even when we got into the car after talking with you guys about having our kids sit with us in church and speaking about just how that could be a time of fellowship mm -hmm. with our children. Mm -hmm. We're like, wow, we really have felt like it's us versus them in that scenario. Not we're on the same team. And yeah. the whole reason we want this is for your good. Yes. And so if we're negating the for your good part by being upset at you and resenting you and you're resenting us in this situation, then it's not having the outcome that we want it to ultimately mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that was really encouraging. Good. Yeah, just being a since you brought that up and being aware of the propensity of my own heart sure. to go 
automatically to like self self-preservation or how what's my appearance to mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. and am i making if you're a guest in somebody else's home and your kids are you know ruining their furniture all you're thinking is oh they're going to be so mad at me they're never going to have me back this is embarrassing my right. pride's hurt they're going to think i'm a terrible parent right i know that's like exactly the first place my mind goes mm -hmm. and where my heart goes right. but, but identifying that quickly repenting yes. of it yes not just accepting it also acknowledging that, yes, the behavior does need to be mm -hmm. uh, trained. Right. You, the children need to learn how to mm -hmm. behave themselves, but you're doing it not so that you can prove to your friends or you know your in-laws or whoever it is that you've got control over your children right. and that they're accepted in these in the environments, but it's because your heart's towards your children. Yes. And something that you mentioned that I think can, I, I know I can definitely uh, uh, you know say that this was the reality growing up, you said, you know, young children, I mean, I think very young children, two, three, four, they know where your heart's at. Mm -hmm. They might not be able to articulate it, mm -hmm. but they know when you're parenting out of anger or pride mm -hmm. or selfishness or embarrassment, mm -hmm. they're aware of it. And they might know, not know that it's one of those particular things, but they know it's not out of love mm -hmm. for them. Right. And I can definitely speak that you guys, you guys parented out of love you know, for the most part, you know, you've, you've, as you've shared, you had your shortcomings, mm -hmm. but it was your heart's desire in the big picture to parent from a place of love and viewing us as a blessing and taking pleasure in us. And I think that that has that, the impact of that probably is hard to quantify, but it does last and carry on into those teen years. Like, cause right. that's what I think the, that sentiment and those heartstrings are starting to be established yes. in those early years that then get you to the teen years. Yes. You know, you gave an example yesterday as well about when you and Katie built the swing outside and you would go outside. Now, when you're sitting inside and you send the kids outside, they're restless, they come in and out, yeah. they, but yet you built the swing and then you're outside with them, you're delighting in their play and they'll be out there for hours. That's right. And it's because you're delighting in them, you're with them. Yes. And, and you see that versus if you just send them out and you're inside, you guys go away. Yes. And um, that's a perfect example. When yes. your kids know that your heart and affections are with them during the day, yes. they're, they're at rest. That's exactly right. Yeah. And what's crazy with that yeah. example is maybe Katie and I would want to talk. Mm -hmm. And so we say, hey, go out. we tell the kids to go outside and play. Go out. You're being too loud. You're being too disruptive in here. So you head outside and play. And they know we're just trying to get rid of them mm -hmm. so that we can have our own, you know, conversation here. And of course, times like that are necessary, right? Mm -hmm. From time to time mm -hmm. where you think, okay, you've got to go outside. But we, it's crazy how just that change of making a little swing outside that Katie and I can sit in mm -hmm. while the kids are playing, mm -hmm. we can have the exact same yes. conversation it's, uninterrupted it's true. and the kids yes. are all playing around us and, and they know that we're taking pleasure in them. We get mm -hmm. to watch them. So yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically what I'm hearing is that the foundation for you really see the fruit of your labor or the fruit of your relationship with your children once they become young adults mm -hmm. and start transitioning more into that adulthood. You're seeing all those years in the foundation that you laid mm -hmm. starting to become magnified. I think so. Kind of like in those years. And I think this would be a good time to bring up humility uh, because I think uh, parenting needs to be bathed in humility. So let's say maybe you messed up by the time your kids become teenagers, you know, like real human beings yeah. to where they're <laughs> conversing like adults. And, and I think what's so important here is to recognize where you've messed up 
maybe in the past, maybe even present, and, and quickly ask them to forgive you. You can actually do that when they're younger too. I'm not saying you have to wait till they're teenagers. But if you find that friction coming uh, between a, in the relationship, that being able to recognize where you've been wrong, to ask forgiveness and, uh, and then move forward. I, we had one of our girls, uh, and I think most of the kids have said this, but she articulated it in a writing, that she think that, thinks that the most important part of parenting growing up was that we were uh, willing to admit that we were wrong in certain, um, uh, that we were wrong, and ask forgiveness. And then I think you might want to mention the teachability. Yes, definitely. I think probably if you go backwards a little bit too to the early childhood training, it comes back down to the to the what are going to be your priorities. And when you talk about being all in, there are plenty of distractions, plenty of other things that are tugging for our time as parents, our attention as parents. And so it's really important as part of that um, self-examination of saying, is this the most important? Is this top priority for us? We, we talk about the vows that we take in marriage. Mm. And um, we, we, I think for the most part, everybody that goes through those vows understands them. They understand the commitment. They understand that constant need to nurture a, a relationship as, as husband and wife. But do we have that same clarity when it comes to our children? Mm. You know, the, the initial commitment and then that that process of growth that we have to walk alongside our kids. We have to keep our heart toward our kids. We have to always be examining our relationship with our kids to along the way, along life's way. Yeah. But I think one of the things of that transition period is that can be good is, is you're going to fall short in child training and you're going to have gaps. But as you transition into the uh, adult years, you have that, Pop, you have that second chance almost to begin and to nurture a relationship mm. on a different level. Mm. So where you might have a little, a flawed child because maybe you've you've missed some spots. You could start appealing to them as adults now, appealing to their behavior, appealing to their heart, nurturing a relationship, and and um, be, reach them at a different level rather than just an obedience level. Wow. Yeah, that's really hopeful. And yeah. when does that kind of like start happening? You know, like, because I think our parents doing it too soon, our parents starting that too late, you know, in, in my mind, like if it's my child 10, are they 16? You know, what has your experience been with that? Has it been different for every child? I think it's been different, but I think, um, I think that's such a good question because I see a lot of young parents uh, concerned about... Uh, we we use that phrase, uh, getting the heart of their child, and uh, not having just have it just be about obedience. Uh, but I think it's important to remember, even if you look at it the way our brain develops, you can maybe even look at some of those charts. But zero to six, I think it's okay to not give children choices. You know, we don't have to throw in that, would you like to wear this or wear that? You could s literally say, hey, this is what we're wearing today, and, and go with it. It's, it's too soon to give those choices a reason. You're creating the boundaries uh, and give, making a safe place for them so they have a good foundation. And, and then it incrementally, as I would say around 12, you know, give or take a few years before, 
um, or after, depending on the maturity, that's when I think you start um, appealing to their conscience. And, and it's fun for me to remember. I remember even uh, with one of my older teenage girls telling her how to do something, how, basically how, how to manage her time. And I remember thinking, why doesn't she just do what I say? And then thinking, well, she's a young adult. She's, she's an adult just like me. She's a person. And how many times have I learned concepts and it's taken me so long to apply them and God had to work in my heart or move me in a certain way. And it was a, a little light bulb moment to say, oh, God's going to work in her heart just like she's wor- he's, he has worked in my heart. Hmm. Um, they're, we're all accountable to the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you just saying that like it can be kind of it can be very black and white. It seems like when the children are young. Yes. And I, I remember one person telling me, I think I was sharing my concern of like I want to have my children's heart. Mm-hmm. They're saying like, well, you have their heart when they're children. That's good. When they're young, you just do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yours to lose in a lot of way mm-hmm. at that because they look up to you in every way. That's a good even point. if you if you wrong them or they wrong you, they're so quick to reconcile. Yeah. They just want to come back to you. And so having that confidence when they are young, saying, no, I have their heart. I can lead with confidence and in love. But then being aware of that transition when they start to form their own thoughts, they're mm-hmm. using different, the different, the, their brains developing, yes. like you said, in a new way. And then growing with them. And I, and I love like what you talked about, Daddy, with marriage, how people, we go to marriage conferences, we read marriage books. When you take those vows, for the most part, there's a an understanding that this is going to be something that we have to invest into for the rest of our lives. Yes, the love is there, the passion's there, but you have to reinvest and you have to work on it and get to know the person. People talk about dating their spouse, but for some reason, we don't carry that same type of intentionality into the relationship with our children. And of course, they're growing and changing, maybe even at a more rapid pace, than, than we are as spouses. And so to have that very intentional pursuit of a relationship with them as they're growing and as we're growing and changing, I think is really uh, essential. That's good. It's really, I think to, to follow up even more with that, to know the state of your house every day, to know the heart, to take the temperature, not just of your wife, but take the temperature of your kids. Hmm. And then to be always evaluating on where they're at. You know the journey of life has highs and lows, and we need to be in tune with that every day. Yeah. And as, as a couples, we need to be able to recognize when when the kids are down, when they, when they have the appearance of struggle. Because a lot of times kids don't know. Right. A lot of times they could be in dark places, and they don't know how to get out right you know yeah and we need to be in tune with that we need to be out in front of it you know so we don't so their lows aren't awful yes yeah Yeah, i think you used that term yesterday when we were talking about always being out and being out in front of it you need to be aware of sure where your children are at now Mm -hmm. that's you know we're parenting uh, we're parenting a four-year-old right now and a three-year-old that's where we're at but you also can't be naive and caught off guard when they turn six or when they turn eight or they turn 12 and, or when puberty starts, all those things are going to happen Mm -hmm. and making sure that you are mentally putting yourself there before it's before, almost before the time comes Mm -hmm. to some extent, Mm -hmm. not, not, not getting out ahead of yourself too much, but being ready for when that season's there and knowing Mm -hmm. that it's going to Mm -hmm. things are going to change. The proverbs, you know, the proverbial truths of life, but the prudent man foresees. Yeah, and danger, it, and evil. Yeah, yeah, and then that danger could be and present itself in various ways. Wow. And yeah. that danger, 
really could be directed at our families. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question when it comes to teenage boys, because we have three boys. You did a really good job with the man that I married. And I'm curious, I've been in your home. I've seen you go head-to-head -head with some of your teenage boys <laughs> as they've grown up. And I'm just curious, like, how, how did you navigate that? Like, both as a mom and a dad, when they're starting to really, like, spout their opinions or be like, this is the way I'm doing it, you know... How do you, do you have anything that like helped you navigate that season? Yeah, I'm going to talk first because uh, this is how it happened in order is because we did homeschool and our children, you know, we're at home with us all the time. And our firstborn is uh, a boy. And when he was about 12 or 13, uh, I would be directing him in school things or chores or, and I started feeling resistance and not only resistance, but almost like a, a resentment. And I even said to Joe, I said, I feel like he doesn't like me and, uh, you know, kind of all of a sudden. And, um, and it was actually Joe that said, you know what? He probably doesn't. No, you, you didn't actually say that. He likes you. He just doesn't like the ruling over. In, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm his mom. If, if I don't rule over him, who will? Yeah. And, uh, and so it was really cool because I even think before you even knew details of young men, he had the intuit, you know, that that intuitive to say, no, I think I need to be more in charge of him. I need to be giving him orders and not you. And it, he, I think he was trying to minister to me most of all at that time to trying to relieve me of the pressure, but also point out that no, he loves you. Just sometimes men, as they're you know, men they have a tough time with a woman bossing him around. Yeah. So I'll let. Joe, anyway, that was a relief for me, for, for Joe to say, I'll take it, you know, and it, it could have been anywhere from, I wrote down his assignments and then Joe asked him to do it, you know, so, cause I knew what needed to be done in the home. So it could be practical things like that, but I'll let you then take it how you saw it, how you see your young men. Well, it's true. You could, you recognize that the transition from a little boy to a young man and the testosterone that takes place. I, I remember that as a 13-year-old. I remember just the raging hormones and just being ornery for, and just surprising myself with orneriness and not really fully understanding it. And so I think that when we go back to getting out, anticipating, anticipating the change, you know that that transition, you know, from, from little girls to young women, from, from little boys to young men, there's a lot that's happening in the body. And so you need to be able to have that understanding, sensitivity and awareness, have a plan in place. But if you go back even further, again, going back to the two steps back, would, when you look at with humility, Mom, talk, Lisa talked about humility and teachability, to recognize that by ourselves we're going to be limited. We're going to be limited in our understanding. We're going to be limited in our abilities. So it's really important to be teachable, to be humble, and to be able to seek out counsel, seek out resources. There are so many resources, so much, so many um, things available to help assist us in, in parenting and anticipating. And so just as for years I used the example of continuing education in our careers and our jobs, we understand the need for continuing education to stay on top of our careers. Are we doing that? in our relationships with our kids? Are we continually informing ourselves 
continually equipping ourselves to be able to be effective. Hmm. So when it comes to the when it comes to the boys, you just have that understanding. Boys needs to boys need boys need their fathers. The fathers understand men. You know the ladies understand women more. And that transition, they're becoming young men, and boys and 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 fathers need to be involved in their son's life yeah. they, they need to be there as an example they need to be there as a encouragement but they also need to be there just as that you know that accountability that stern accountability yeah and you really you uh, exemplified that for making yourself available and not just available actually you input yourself into the situation when i can remember from my you know that's a great story with joby my older brother um, but then also I think it's, you've done that cause there's six boys in the family, you know, and then all of them have gone through their teen years and they're all in their twenties now. Um, and you got, you didn't, what I'm trying to say is this looked very practical in the sense that you prioritized relationship mm -hmm. at, at the, at the cost of some things, you know, you, you would choose your career based off of how much time you could spend with us in different seasons. Mm -hmm. You would, if, if you could if you weren't able to bring Joby or me along with you on days that it was necessary to work, then you were probably going to find a different career and you're going to prioritize different things. You were going to, you were not going to do men's league basketball as often mm -hmm. because you need to be home in the evening when, when we were getting into that stage. And so I'm so grateful and it's so clear looking back, you know, those intentional decisions that you made that involved giving something up. Mm -hmm. Um, but, it was normal to me, you know, as a, as a son, as a, as an 11, 12, 13 year old, it was normal that on any given Wednesday afternoon, when I was going head to head with mom, that I'd hop in the truck with you and I'd go run errands for the businesses mm -hmm. or for work, or I'd go out and cut firewood with you. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, that's a very blessed thing that I got to experience, mm -hmm. but it wasn't by accident. Mm -hmm. it, I think that you really were intentional in positioning yourself in such a way where you could be that voice of counsel and direction in your young son's lives. And I'm really grateful for that. I would also just say you've mentioned before that basically the buck always stopped with your dad, but it didn't mean like, like sometimes you're home and it's just Lisa, right? It's just your mom, but you always had to answer to your dad. They were always so unified if mm -hmm. you gave your mom a hard time. Yes. It's like he was always there to step in and be like, okay, you're answering to me because you didn't respect your mother, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And again, I'm sure you guys probably didn't do this perfectly, but from my perspective as a son, the unity that you had in your parenting, I think, spoke volumes. And the fact that you couldn't go, if mom said no, you couldn't go around to dad and persuade him, or, you know, if you wronged mom, that was the equivalent of, of wronging daddy. Mm -hmm. You guys were the same team. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you guys want to speak to that, because I know that you do think that a unified vision is paramount. And so I don't know if you want to speak on that a little bit. Well, it is. I mean, and I think that if, if we can look back and say what were some of the, the key um, things that we did well and, and being unified would definitely be one of the top three. Hmm. We were in it together. We were, we were equally committed and it was equally as important. I, when it's grievous when you see homeschooling mothers trying to do it alone. Yeah, and and the dad just kind of being absent because he's working all the time, and and um, there is one which makes himself rich, but he becomes poor, hmm. and there's that one who makes himself poor that he might become rich, and 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 that truth was foundational for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we can go out and pursue riches and become poor, 
and you see it taking place all around you. Mm. Or you could choose to choose to put aside riches for other things like the relationship between the hearts of your kids yeah. and you become rich. Yes. I mean, and that's what's nuts is now what are you, what, 61 years old? How old are you? 61. 60, 61. Yeah. And you've got 10 children that are young adults now. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, seven of them are married. You've got grandchildren's coming faster than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can say when, when I look at, you know, when am I, when I'm 60, it's like, I want that so badly. I think that's why, and I know that it's the heart of a lot of parents when, when they really evaluate their heart and they mm-hmm. think, well, I want to be able to have not just a deep relationship with my adult children. I want them to be walking with the Lord mm-hmm. and you, and to see, you know, there is no greater joy than that your children mm-hmm. are walking in truth and, mm-hmm. and to see your children walking in truth and then bringing up your grandchildren in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I don't, I, I have to guess there's not, and I, and I know that you passed up many business opportunities over the 25 years that you were really in, invested into parenting. Mm-hmm. There was probably millions of dollars, you know, when it's all played out that you could have gotten had you pursued more wholeheartedly some of these business mm-hmm. deals that you've talked about before. But when you look at what you have now, mm-hmm. would you ever, would you trade it? You know, and that's, and would you, would you trade it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, $5 million, $10 million, <laughs> what would it take? Um, but I, I'm asking that rhetorically because you've spoken mm-hmm. time and time again mm-hmm. how wealthy you feel right. in your relationship and the Lord's blessings mm-hmm. through through your children. And it is the Lord's blessing and it's his goodness. And I know that you're quick to say that, but you made you made a decision in your twenties mm-hmm. to be unified and saying, No, first and foremost, you're not gonna choose to be poor, but you are going to choose first and foremost to invest in these mm, relationships exactly. mm-hmm. right. and, and you'll do what it takes to provide in other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've got another question while we have you guys relationships in the teen years, because there's obviously this autonomy mm-hmm. where they get to go out and they get to pick their friends to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. How did you guys help create the good relationships and how did you help weed out or kind of stay away from those bad influences? Well, I think uh, we we wanted an we always had a vision of having an open home where people where our kids could bring their friends. So we would always invite people over. And Joe mentioned too he was uh, probably more intentional than I was uh, about who we invited over. Um, male role models, you know, you we had, and then we. Uh, older. So that, that was the one thing, you know, they weren't necessarily the relationships that were happening in our house. Didn't really start out as kids, their same age peers, they were older adults and in some cases younger. So it's that beauty of uh, really believing that, you know, God placed you in a family. You've got aunts and uncles, you've got beautiful friends in your church, but they don't have to be the same age, Hmm. you know? And, and, um, and I think, just learning that in their foundation, um, when they were maybe going out and doing sports on their own, I feel like they had good discernment on their own um, to to make wise choices. And um, I would say also too, as a family, we were so busy as a family. Our family did music together and traveled, and and uh, so we had, and not just the traveling part, but the rehearsing part. Uh, we have a, a 
lot of land, so we were working on our property and landscaping. We did a lot of things together. So there wasn't, I think, a big need to always have social inter interaction. But I think for the most part, we knew who the friends were, we knew the families, and then I mean, that's a, a guess on that. I, I don't know if I'm really... Um, I know. Yeah, let's hear it, Daddy. Yeah, 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 because I do. I think that that that's the idea of the different roles and working together. You know, the strengths working together, and and when it when it came to friendships, again, knowing the state of your your flock, knowing who your kids are being with, who they're not being with, and mm -hmm. and also knowing that peer relationships, for the most part, in teenage years, are not good. Hmm. You know, and so just to kind of avoid those peer influences because basically you've got you know two 14 15 16 year old lost knuckleheads spending time together you know so you don't really want too much time of that peer interaction i didn't see it i wanted to have old, i want to have people that were influential and you look back to the to the people yeah they were in their 20s they you were know, was, we were out playing 11, wiffle 12, ball 13. with 20 25 year old single guys yeah. who were solid in their faith yeah and who were intentional about their lives, yeah. and um, and so and if you did have peer relationships, you know they were they were your cousins. Yep. They they, they were people that had been vetted. They weren't just <laughs> they weren't just That's random right. neighborhood kids, or they weren't random kids right. from the church. There were people who were were really well aware of. Yeah, I, that's I I a hundred percent agree. And like you said being aware of the different giftings and also roles of mm -hmm. the husband and wife. Mm -hmm. You know, you were the protector, mm -hmm. you were the watchdog, you were going to guard the gate mm -hmm. when it came to relationships in the home. But not only that, you were also, you mentioned this before, so I don't want it to get redundant, but you, you, you know, you, uh, I guess you foresaw us wanting to be in relationship with people. That's a human trait. Mm -hmm. And yes. so yes. not expecting that your children are just going to be content with just staying inside the home and only being with their siblings. Yeah. And okay, the, we're relational beings. Mm -hmm. We like to get out and meet people. And so you were proactive in seeking those relationships out ahead of time mm -hmm. where they were great role models. They were fun people to be around. Mm -hmm. And then also curate or sorry, creating a home and an environment that we wanted to invite our friends to. Mm -hmm. Because I do agree overall that, you know, you you were really proactive and uh, and, and intentional about getting people over, but there are also friends mm -hmm. that would kind that we would go find when we started playing sports, mm -hmm. or that we'd bring home from church occasionally. We'd say, mm -hmm. "Hey, can they come over?" Or maybe for my birthday party, or can they come over after exactly. church and play? And so that did happen, but it always happened in the context of our home because that's where we wanted to be as kids. Right. Or even if we didn't want to be there, that's all. That was just the rule. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we could have friends over to our house. And so, you know, if we're honest in hindsight, I'm sure there was people that entered our friend circle that had the potential to be a bad example mm -hmm. on us and to, mm -hmm. and to lead us in a tough place. But you were well aware of who those kids were and what was going on mm -hmm. because the relationships were happening at our home. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think too, you know, as, again, there were some questionable situations. And when you have that relationship with your kids, you can address that. Mm -hmm. You can say, hey, the, this situation doesn't look healthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we need to figure out an exit plan. Yes. Uh, so yes. I think too, just that peer pressure of the home, like you have this home culture and mm. I just feel like, cause I was, you know, I went into that culture. I was friends with Annie and Loya growing up. And I think that 
when you go into that culture, regardless of what culture you're coming from, you really want to, especially as a teen, a middle schooler, like you're, you're a conformist to a certain extent mm-hmm. because of that peer pressure. And it was such a healthy peer pressure mm-hmm. that even someone who maybe, I don't know, you didn't want influencing your kids, the other influence was really strong in the home. Yeah, you know, good. and so they just kind yeah. of might conform more into that. Yes, I think I 100% agree with you that that happened. But then you also weren't naive in, yeah. in saying that like, oh, we're our kids are solid in everything. Mm-hmm. We're always going to have the upper hand on yeah. the culture and the momentum right, right. and the influence. Because I don't think you were naive in that area. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you knew that as a 13-year-old boy, another 13-year-old boy or a 15-year-old boy was going to have way more sway mm-hmm. on my perspective than even you it's in some scenarios mm-hmm. well, and so and, you're aware of that yeah yeah and certain children are more susceptible yes. to that uh the people pleasing uh the peer I, I just remember do you remember when we had uh joey's entire uh college basketball team over that's right yeah. for a spaghetti feed because yeah. the kids are raising money to buy oh yeah <laughs> a I love, that's right and they did a talent show but those were you know they were uh our home was open, and I can't really think of any one of those young men that I would have thought of. Have been comfortable with, just yeah. like us going and Yeah, I mean, they were great guys. Yeah. They were sweet, but we were in a safe environment, and they were getting a kick out of kids mm-hmm. and the family interaction. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of, there were a lot of opportunities to where we had maybe you would call them superficial connections or ministry connections, mm-hmm. but they just didn't necessarily go into the deeper... Yes. Well, and, you, and you, you kind of set the environment where we become the influencers, not the influenced. That's and, right. And when, you, when it's in your home, underneath your roof, in your domain, you can control the setting, set the setting, and be the influencers. Well, and to get even more practical, if people because people probably care about this stuff, you know, if we did have friends come over, we weren't going off to our room and shutting the door and just oh, hanging no. out with them. Mm-mm. That might seem obvious to a lot of people, but that's not, that wasn't the rule in most people's homes, right, right. you know? And so having those very clear boundaries where regardless of how much you trusted or didn't trust mm-hmm. the friends over, we just were out in the family room altogether in the living room, or we were all outside together. There wasn't these opportunities to, you know, to go, you know, have a secret conversation or to learn about something. You, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. those, yeah. all those, all those situations that I think um, happen. If you're, they're going to happen if you're not intentional exactly. about preventing them. You know, yeah. that, I want to praise you for that because that's really good. Me or him? You. Okay. Yeah, you. <laughs> because you know the, in, the again working together because that alone time is really important to be aware of as a parent. You know, and and Lisa, time so many times throughout raising kids, she would just be aware if somebody wasn't in the room. She she wanted to know what everybody was doing, where they were at throughout the day, and just that, you know. So the accountability throughout the day it was so something that you did really well. I because isolation is a a big. I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what made me think of. I think it's really important because even in homeschool, uh, there's a, you can be isolated. Mm. You, your kids can be, I know homeschoolers, to where they went to their room and were with the computer and just did school all day. So if it's about relationships, which we believe it is, ultimately, it's not a, it's, you have to be in a group. And mm. I'm not saying we never work on 
your instruments individually or, right. or your schoolwork individually. But alone time should not be a thing. Even when the iPod came out, uh, remember, you know, the, I call that, you know, personalized music. Right. Well, that, I think it, somebody had an iPod and we were in a tra- in the van traveling and just right away thinking, no, we don't, we don't do stuff on our own. We listen to the same thing mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not going to, you can even be in a group and isolate yourself. And we see it, of course, now with the phones and all of that. So that, I think that's a really important mm-hmm. thing to be aware of uh, because it makes us, and as a parent, it is easier sometimes to say, could you just go somewhere else? And yep. and do something, watch a video, whatever. But it's not the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good for us to face things head on, mm-hmm. those those relationships, and be with be with each other. And you know yeah, so. the the um, the vulnerable times are the alone times. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know I'm talking to some of the kids. The times when they were tempted, the times when they felt the most vulnerable were the alone times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, the, that that principle has I. I really think from my perspective served you well in your parenting as because technology is going to change. I mean, I think of me being nine, 10 and 11. I think we had one computer in the home Mm -hmm. at the time. We didn't even have laptop computers and we certainly didn't have smartphones. But if I wanted to read a book, I remember you coming up and reading is a great thing, right? It could even be the book that I was assigned for school. But if I was alone in my room, you'd come up and say, Hey, if you're going to read, come down to the living room and read with everybody else. Just out of principle. Uh-huh. I can still read. I can keep doing, doing the reading right, thing, right. but you're just not going to be in the middle of the day, isolating yourself mm-hmm. in that way. And then as time, cause you guys made the transition in parenting from no smartphones to smartphones galore. Wow. And, and you guys were right in the thick of that, mm-hmm. you know, where you had teenage boys in, in the social media and the smartphone era and yet those principles and those rules served you well. No, we don't have, you know, you don't bring a laptop computer with you to bed. You don't right. do all those things. You don't have a smartphone. I mean, you guys actually drew a line with the smartphones. Your sons didn't need to have smartphones, right, right. even though everyone else mm-hmm. in high school did. Um, and they, they, because of that whole personalization uh, yeah. thing of it, you know, it's not that you didn't want them to have their own hobbies or their own interests, but they're not going to have this personalized way to isolate themselves yes. um, and access to, you know, who knows what, and that's obviously a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. but that principle served you as you, when, when it came, became technology as well. Right. You say, no, if we have a computer, it's in the living room. If you're working on yeah. the laptop, you're in the family room. Yeah. Um, I think that was a huge blessing. Good. Okay. So I have one more question. This is going kind of long. I actually have a lot of questions, but we're going to end with this one. So as kids become adults, right, their faith starts keeping them more and more. Like it has to be their own because they get to make their own decisions. They are becoming adults and the Lord really has to keep them. Like you no longer can do it as a parent, I feel like. And so how did you encourage your children to develop a personal relationship with God? Again, anticipating, you know, knowing that that's something you need to foresee, you need to nurture, you need to all along the way of, of putting the word out first of all, having the word in their heart at a young age, imparting the word, and then watering throughout, you know, just finding times to just reinforce God's truth, God's word. But it really needs to be modeled. It it needs to be lived out in our lives. You know, it's more the caught versus taught thing is so true. And if we're not living that out, if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, then we can't end expect our children Hmm. to do that and so we you know that's just one of the many blessings of children is that it it, it, 
it compels us to seek God, not just if not for ourselves, because at t- times we're just selfish and we don't want to. But for my wife's sake, for the kids' sake, we need to seek the Lord. I need to seek the Lord every day because it's so important because I'm modeling it for my kids. Yeah. Mm. And I would say, too, um, Joe mentioned seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. We've tried to, because we are relational and, and did a lot of talking, do a lot of talking, I think because we truly believe that, that we try to bring every conversation, every time an adult needs advice or decision, to put it on seek first God's kingdom. Hmm. You know, and, and I think to them, they know what that means. Hmm. You know, that it, now as we're uh, still dealing with uh, young, adult, young men in our home, and of course we want them to be providers, but the most important thing is we want them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want that with all our kids, but we're still in a daily counsel situation, um, a daily relationship where we see them all the time. And it's, that becomes even stronger. Uh, like there's nothing more important than seeking God first. Hmm. And, um, and so we have seen the kids develop because there were times as we were growing up, cause we were, we were pretty consistent with family Bible time, you know, or family school time singing, things like that. But I remember thinking there were so many, uh, teachings at that time and how your kids should have their own quiet time. And I thought, man, I'm just not seeing how that works. So just to comfort, we never implemented that. We never required it or, uh, uh, but the kids eventually did their own quiet time. Would you agree? Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I don't know why Joe and I just didn't feel comfortable uh, at that time. I'm, a lot of times I think it's just because we just were flying by the seat of our pants and who knew when we were going to have our quiet time. Right. Uh, so, uh, and when I say quiet time, I'm talking about reading the Bible and, and yeah, being in prayer, seeking the and, Lord in yeah, prayer. Yes. And also, uh, when you talk about the Lord, uh, relationship with the Lord, it transitions, you know, you're doing the child training and teaching and also, this is sort of humbling for me to admit, but I have become more of a prayer, a praying person than I feel like I was in my when my children were younger. Maybe I did a lot of arrow praise, prayers, like, please, God, help me, you know, type, type of thing. But now, recognizing that my children are individual souls accountable to the Lord, just going to his word and, and praying those prayers in Ephesians, you know, that pray that God would open their eyes, God would soften their heart and that they can know the love of God. So praying has been huge. And, and when I say it's kind of humbling because I don't really think I did that until I started realizing that I couldn't save my kids. Only God can. And God's the one that does the work in our hearts. Uh, so, mm. that's so good. That's the, so good. Yeah. It, the the con- one of the things that I want to point out is much of who we are is because of God's word. You know, everything that the wisdom that we have in parenting, the clarity that we have in parenting is really because of God's word and others. And that goes back to the teachable, humble spirit and being all in in parenting compels us in the multitude of many counselors has found wisdom and so it it can seem overwhelming but there's there are a lot of wise 
resources out there mm-hmm. that that were so beneficial to us, and we intentionally sought that out. Mm. And so it's not that we were just intuitively together people. It was because there were you know the people that spoke in our lives, which I'm so grateful for. And and then likewise having the word be the mm-hmm. lamp unto our feet, mm-hmm. and which is the lamp is the daily light, and and then a light unto our path, which gives us that biblical worldview mm-hmm. to where we could see all of life through God's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was the, you know, it's really the blessing of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and all praise be to the Lord, because mm-hmm. that's really ultimately where it is. Amen. Yeah. And I just want to affirm too, not only did you model a personal relationship with the Lord and seeking him fervently and intentionally on a regular basis, and we that was modeled to us, it was done very openly at the you know, the dining room table or in the living room mm-hmm. um, or at the kitchen table, you were in his word, you were reading extracurricular books, you know, you're reading different commentaries on the Bible. Oh, you were doing it for us to see. You were me- you had the mem- scripture memory cards mm-hmm. in your truck, you know, posted on your dashboard that you're for the scripture you're memorizing that we saw. Um, and so not only did we see that as children, but you continue to model it. I'm going to get emotional. It's really, <laughs> no, because I think that, you know, even now being 30, the, um, the worldly ambitions are ever so strong. Mm-hmm. And to see you in your 60s saying, no, first and foremost, we're here for God's purposes mm-hmm. and to seek him above all else. Mm-hmm. So you did that as a child and you continue to do it. And so I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that. Amen. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't, I don't have anything to add. I just am really encouraged by you guys. And I think that's something that I see as it's just not, it wasn't formulaic and it wasn't forced. Mm-hmm. And your parenting really was truly stemming from your relationship with the Lord and a humility that you didn't have all the answers and you were doing the best that you could uh, to steward the hearts he gave you. And so mm-hmm. anyways, I'm really blessed to be a part of your family now. We're proud of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, In all the right ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not the bad pride, right? Yeah. No, we were just Good. so grateful. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. For your pursuit of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. This has been such a treat. I know it's been a blessing to Katie and I, and so I know it's going to be a blessing to anyone that, that listens. So thanks for blessing us and being a huge source of encouragement. Um, yeah. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>